I don't like being this person. There's got to be some other way. At some point it was, I, I can't keep going with this because this just feels wrong in so many ways, but I don't know how to fix it. Maybe I've not found my right purpose. Maybe I just need to flip the table over and figure something else out, which then ushered in this era of my life where I think I tried on probably three or four careers, thinking like, this cannot possibly be it. And someone's now listening to this and they're thinking, oh, I gotta be more purposeful with my work. I gotta do something different. I know I can't keep doing this for the next 40 years. What can they do to start moving in the right direction? Through my recruiting career, we're attuned to asking questions and understanding, you know, what are the things that make you feel good? What are the things that you see around you that help to ensure that you're meeting your goals or that you've done well in your career? It's really understanding this idea of why do you do what you want to do? The real pivot point for me was I needed someone who believed in this, these questions I was asking and that I, I, I felt like I could take on this challenge of solving some of these, you know, these problems that I had rolling around in my head. And, you know, it took an opportunity to really like flex my muscles and, and see what I could do under the watchful eye of someone who absolutely and emphatically believed I could deliver on those things. Do you want to share some of the things you've learned from parenting that have then taught you how to become a better leader? The number one thing is Welcome to another episode of Success with Purpose, where we help mentor you into becoming a more successful version of yourself. We do this through giving you access to mentors you typically would never have the opportunity to connect with. We explore their journeys, their experiences, their life-changing events, their fields of expertise, and most importantly, their purpose. My name is Harry Goldberg, husband to an incredible woman, father of two amazing daughters, host, interviewer, and interrogator of this podcast, and director and advisor and meditation teacher of Purpose Advisory. This purpose-driven project is entirely funded by Purpose Advisory, which I am a director of. We guide clients to make great life and money decisions, and we do this through a range of different services. Life vision experiences, personality, investment strategies, cash flow systems, and through teaching meditation. If you want to learn any more about any of these, link in the comments below. Now, just before we learn from yet another exceptional guest, if you find value from these conversations, please make sure to like and subscribe below, leave a review. It really does make a difference. And of course, share it with someone else who's going to find value. Now, listen in, pay attention, take some notes, enjoy. Let's begin. Abby Gates, welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, look, so for, for the listeners, uh, you started out in recruitment in 05, progressed your way through the leadership, and you're now VP of People and Culture at Render Networks. Uh, I've got you as a self-proclaimed startup junkie, a mom of three daughters, and a thought leader in delivering on making work fulfilling and improving people's lives. So before we before we dive into your journey and how you've gotten to where you are and the lessons you've learned along the way, how do you define success? Whew, um, yeah, it's a big question. I, I thought a lot about this before we, we hopped on. And I think, you know, for me, it's, it's a couple of things. I think, you know, early in my career, it was driving toward an outcome for myself. It was, you know, like, is it monetary success? Is it um, a, a, another rung in the ladder? You know, is it being recognized or, you know, being adored by my colleagues or, you know, all of those things. But I think, you know, what I realized over time is those are, you know, it, it's, it's 
you know, a series of diminishing returns is sort of what I realized. And I think, you know, honestly, it was, it probably took the pandemic for me to realize that there is this, um, you know, level of fulfillment of satisfaction in, um, like making it this intersection between the things I would love to do with my career, but also bringing people along with me. I think, you know, it's made me a bit kinder. It's made me more aware, conscientious. Um, you know, I won't say it's roses and, and rainbows and, and flowers, but I, I think like the perspective that experience gave me, you know, in that period of my adulthood really, um, you know, really set the tone for how I view how I'd personally define success, which is the things I want to do, but also how can I share that success with others um, and help them along in their journeys too. So how, how does that work? Like what do you primarily focus on there? Is it as long as it's what I want to do and okay. then it will help other people and then I'll do that? Or is it what's going to help other people and then I'll try and find a way that I'm going to enjoy it? Like is, how, how do you yeah. approach that particular dilemma? Yeah, it's, um, you know, for me and, it, you know, occupationally, this is, and there's a nice setup here because everything, mm -hmm. everything in my line of work, which is in people and culture is, you know, how can we set up the best outcomes for the people at our company? Um, and so this setup is really um, employing the masses. It's, it's seeking out um, input from them. It's using their feedback as, as a, as a guiding light for the things we'd like to do. I often say without feedback from the team, our work means nothing. There's there's just, you know, we're sort of throwing a dart at a dartboard in the dark with our eyes closed. And so, you know, I think for me it was, we've got to make sure we bring people on that journey with us and also pull back the curtain on when we say things like people and culture, you know, it is all of you. It is, you know, our goal here is to make sure that there's um, there's, there's impact here that's meaningful beyond an OKR my team is held to. So it's, it's really like reframing, um, you know, who is this benefiting? It's, it's impact for everyone else and not for me and, and through their satisfaction and their, their excitement to be here. You know, I also share in that journey too, which is, feels better, honestly. So, so do you primarily see your uh, your staff as or people who are working in the organization that you're a leader of um, as people who are there because they've got to have a job they've got bills to pay and they're doing something which they kind of enjoy but then you're just focused on trying to make sure that they find it more fulfilling or are you trying to reorient the organization towards making sure that it's going to be fulfilling for more people to attract more of those people right which approach well do you I think take? it's yeah, it's both of those things. Um, if you look at the span of what my team does, um, you know, it is it is touching on every step of the journey before someone joins our organization and even after. And everything as part of that journey beforehand is understanding what are the motivating factors on either side of the table. You know, naturally, our organization needs X, Y, and Z for this to be defined as success for, you know, the purposes of this role. Um, but there will be motivating factors on the candidate side, which also inform that. And so when I think about this, and in fact, one of the biggest reasons I ended up moving into this broader people and culture role was, um, you know, I asked myself over a period of time, how can we deliver on that promise? Because, you know, as a company, what we're doing is selling a promise before someone joins. Um, mm -hmm. But then it was, you know, there's got to be some authenticity in that process at all. How can we actually ensure that we're promising? Or that we're delivering on what we what we've promised these candidates, and so when I think about this moving forward, it's creating fulfillment by 
we've we've sort of defined those motivating factors on both sides and how do we encourage those behaviors how can we how can we ensure that um we're we're we're, we're thinking about both of those factors as we as we move through someone's employee journey i think mm-hmm. it is possible to achieve both outcomes now i won't profess to be an expert on this because i think this is the million dollar question for anyone in my capacity but i do think there is a way to make sure that someone um, feels this level of love for the work they do because it, you know, hits on hits on the things they find satisfying. And within your definition of success, you were referring to, uh, you know, being able to do what you want to do while also helping other people do what they want to do too, or feel mm-hmm. fulfilled by what they're doing as well. And mm-hmm. most of what you've touched on there is based on how fulfilled you are at work or what you want to do at work. Where mm-hmm. where does your personal life? Uh, flow into it as well. Yeah, I think, um, I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said my personal life didn't inform this. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've set out to do in my personal life is is really employ the same tactics. Like, you know, I think about, you know, parenthood and, and all the changes that's brought to my life and, you know, the, the, the misconceptions I had about that journey before before I was a parent, um, and and the realities once that's hit, and I think about all of the people that have helped me become a better parent, or think about things in a different way, encourage me when things felt especially difficult, or you know, celebrating my successes. And so it is fulfilling to offer help, but also bring people along in that journey of of you know, doing the same for others. And so I think through that, I think it's probably the first time in my life where I've really looked around and thought, my gosh, like this is when people say it takes a village. Um, this is it. Like it's, it is imperative for me to look at the people in my life and think, you know, there has to be some reciprocity in this relationship. There has to be some way that, you know, we can both, um, benefit from this relationship. And I think, you know, thinking about that and it is made, my personal relationships flourish. It has, um, you know, changed the way I think about how I engage with the people around me and my family, um, and um, and it's really informed the way I, I show up at work now. And I think it's, you know, it's I've, I've noticed a huge shift in the way that I present at work now versus what I might have done even 15 years ago, where you know, again, again, it was the only player in the game was me. Um, you know, whereas now it's there's there's a whole team of people who are also benefiting in the work I do um, and who are also informing the way I do it um, so that I can I can have some impact beyond my own goals. Mm. Oh, this is cool. So we, there are the aspects of your impact beyond your own goals is in how you're helping other people as well. And it sounds like if you rewind 15 years to the Abbey 15 years ago, it was there was no reciprocity. Do you mean that you weren't helping others or that other that you found yourself trying to help others and that they weren't helping you back? Well, what do you mean by that? Gosh, I, I, I wish I wish it was the latter. Um, I just don't know that I was intentional as as intentional about that as I could have been. Um, I, I don't know that I understood that, um, you know, maybe honestly what it might have been is that, um, you know, when I started working, um, you know, I think my my initial impressions of working in corporate America were it's a dog eat dog world. Like if 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 you if you're not looking out for yourself, then who's looking out for you? And yes. you know, so I think like 
my misconception there was that, um, you know, kindness or, you know, working as part of a larger and having some larger impact or helping others along in the journey would be mistaken for weakness. You know, I think I, I really and truly thought that that was sort of the way you succeed in America. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I think over time it was just this like building sense of anxiety over, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like being this person. There's gotta be some other way. Maybe I've not found my right purpose. Maybe I just need to like, you know, flip the table over and figure something else out, which then, you know, ushered in this era of my life where I think I tried on probably three or four careers thinking like, this cannot possibly be it. It can't be the way I'm to spend the next 45, 50 years of my adult life. Like who does this for ever? Um, you know, and I think at some point it was, I, I can't keep going with this because this just feels wrong in so many ways, but I don't know how to fix it. Um, and is I that think a, it is took... that a constant is that a constant question that kind of runs up in your mind like if any any time like imagine like if it's a if you have a almost everyone has questions that's run in their mind all the time and if you imagine that the question that keeps running in a lot of people that's what's wrong with this what needs to be fixed about this how can I make this better why don't people like me like whatever it is the the question which they keep asking themselves it sounds like there's some element of that question of do I want to do what I'm doing today for another 45 years that seems to drive a lot of your decisions? Yes. I mean, I, I absolutely asked those types of questions at that point. You know, I think now, um, you know, the answer to that question is I absolutely want to be doing this work, you know, for the next 45 years. But I think the questions are now um, more directed along the lines of um, this feels hard. How can I solve my way out of this? There's, there's a solution here. How can I look at this from all angles and consider different perspectives? You know, I think, the perspective I was looking for 15 years ago was mine, um, or it was mm -hmm. the people around me who I deemed successful. Um, and, you know, like success looks and feels differently to everyone. I think, you know, by yes. trying to mirror what I was seeing reflected back at me um, by those people around me, I think I was missing what I, what I'm good at. And what I'm good at is this, you know, idea of connection. I think you know, through my career, recruiting career, we're attuned to asking questions and understanding, you know, what are the things that make you feel good? What are the things that you see around you that help to ensure um, that you're meeting your goals or that you've done well in your career or that, you know, has helped to inform how you viewed failures and succeeded the next time? It's, it's really understanding this idea of why do you do what you want to do? Mm -hmm. um, and then I think at some point in time it was... Um, you know, I think the, the the real pivot point for me was I needed someone who believed in this these questions I was asking, and that I, I I felt like I could take on this challenge of solving some of these you know these problems that I had rolling around in my head, some of which I was still contending with on my own, um, and you know it took an opportunity to really like flex my muscles and and see what I could do um, under the watchful eye of someone who absolutely and emphatically believed I could deliver on those things. I think that was the huge change for me. Okay. Well, let's, let's dive. That, that's, that's pretty good. Actually, before, before we dive into your journey, I'm, I'm curious what you meant when you, you said that the key question you're asking yourself is how can I solve my way out of this? Um, what's this, what are the problems that you see? Oh, it's the, the, you know, the thousand small decisions that are in front of me on a daily basis. It's, um, you know, this is not a problem. It's an opportunity. It's, it, it's, it's a way to look at a problem in a different way today. Mm 
Um, and, you know, also give myself the grace that I may not have the answer at that moment. You know, I think what's what age is brought to the table for me is, you know, you're capable enough to figure this out um, by either finding the people you know that can help you look at a problem in a different way or giving yourself some time to figure it out. Like it, it, there is, I think too, it's, um, you know, through asking a lot of questions in my career and, and, you know, being in a position to understand how people do things, I think, you know, the most powerful answer is, you know, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. You know, I, I, I will find, you know, let me, let me think about this for a second. I want to give this the due consideration it needs. Um, to give an answer and it's you know sometimes that's off-putting like oh my gosh like you're you basically tell me you don't know but like it what confidence and wisdom it takes to say you know but I'll find out I I, I want mm -hmm. I want to do this well um, but I can't do that for you right this second and so it's sometimes slowing down has been you know good a good reminder for me so you know now it's thinking about that things even in the mundane tasks in my day even in the you know I am I don't know staring at a spreadsheet I can't quite figure it out and it's like you know I'll shift gears you know give myself some pre-thinking time and then reapproach this I think I think given some give, giving myself some time and the opportunity to to do something else I think the answer will come to me so it's giving myself the grace but also the opportunity to think I'm capable of finding a way you know through this through this problem um and I um you know feel confident that I can find a solution to it but you know, I just mm -hmm. need a, I need, I need a second to do it. So, but Abby 15 years ago would never have done that. It was, you know, either running from a problem entirely or bulldozing my way through it with, you know, limited, um, you know, limited thought. I like, I like this. It's, uh, it, it feeds right into the fixed first growth, uh, versus growth mindset. Uh, I really, I really respect Carol Dweck's work. On the, on the notion of what a growth mindset is. I have a slightly different definition, very much influenced by her, uh, which is the belief in yourself that you have the ability to overcome any obstacle that comes your way. It's not that you, obviously the fake growth mindset is, I can do everything, blah, 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 whatever. Or the fixed mindset is, I'm good at these things, I'm terrible at those things, so therefore I'm never going to do those because I'm just terrible at it. That's, those are fixed mindset attributes. But the belief that you're able to overcome any obstacle that comes your way uh, and part of the solution, as you just said, is doing uh, doing what sounds like it's been a little bit more of a uh, more of a minefield for you in the past, which is get other people to help out, get other people involved who can help. Yeah, and I, you know, I think what it's also done is it's endearing. You know, I think it's. Um, I mean, I, I, I know, I know, I can be naturally charming. It's sort of one of the things that I've gotten older. I've heard enough times that it's. You know, it's it's nice to hear, but I think you know that as well as um, being authentic and asking for help or asking questions of, about things I may not have expertise in. You know, I think mm -hmm. people understand that. You know, through that they share in that, they share in the solution, they share in the success, and then it creates this, you know, culture of people willingly being collaborative with one another. And then mm -hmm. you know, on top of it, like. You know, this people and culture leadership career is really materialized in the time of people being remotely based. And so then it became this additional layer of complexity around how do you create these intentional opportunities for people to collaborate when we don't see each other? Like we have to schedule time in a calendar or someone has to be at their computer answering a Slack message or there has to be some 
opportunity in a meeting where we encourage you know people to speak up and collaborate how do we do these things so it's it's invited these really interesting applications for this idea um, that allow for me to do this at work while also still doing it myself and so it's it's sort of seeing you know seeing this play out in real time in front of me in ways that I could have only imagined you know as a as a professional starting out a long time ago um so it's been it's it's been incredibly gratifying from that standpoint just like the curious part of me is you know really I don't know it's um it's it's cool it is it is very cool to see this play out in my professional life mm-hmm. with people who I have great respect for yeah i'm i'm hearing that even just the way that even just the way that you shared that you were referring to how can we make sure there's still connection how can we continue to um, make space for this how can we continue to do this even though we're all remote as opposed to i suspect most businesses i don't know the number it would be a very high percentage let's say uh where their focus is how can we uh how can we kind of make do with what it is while we're in this temporary yeah. situation like how can we kind or of just like get through because... it yeah. yeah or we're not able to do it anymore so we're just gonna have to live with it yeah so, it's a different approach all right, well, let, let's yeah. let's shift let's shift gears. Let's focus on, uh, like, what what have been some of the, like the most pivotal uh, moments that have led to your success, or that have led to what you're now defining as success. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably motivated a whole lot by failure. I we have this running joke in my family, so I'm a twin, and um, you know, we're 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 different enough in that you know I think my my sister is, um, and I'm actually one of eight kids. So there's, there's this wow. like massive kids in my, in my world, but I'm closest with my twin sister. But, you know, when I look at her professional career, it's, um, it's a heads down workhorse mentality. She's incredible. And, you know, honestly, she's held this, the exact jobs I have had in my career and done like far better at it than I have. Like she's got this resilience and, um, just this, like absolute persistence to deliver in a conventional way. Um, you know, whereas I am, you know, I'm, I'm not risk averse. I think, you know, I really love the idea of, of taking these like professional risks and sort of seeing if things work. And, um, and, you know, I think the, the reason startups have sort of worked for me is because it, it matches that element of my personality that I, I love trying things on for size and creating where it didn't exist. And there's this degree of chaos and, you know, failure to some degree is sort of expected. So everyone, you know, has this assumption going into it. But I think, um, you know, there have been, um, you know, lots of times in my career where I think, you know, that boldness has been, you know, perhaps abrasive or it's been, um, you know, mistimed. You know, there there is a time for, you know, measured approaches. There is a time for, um, you know, calculated risk-taking there is a time for softness you know as it relates to my line of work and I think you know sometimes like you know I've gotten a little ahead of myself with wanting to do things when I wanted to do them you know how I wanted to do them Mm -hmm. so I think there's been definitely some instances in my career where this has played out in a way where I'm like ah gosh like I think I came out a little too strong that time can Um, can you give an example of it um you know I've probably you know expressed um I'm trying to think of of times where this hasn't worked out. I think, um, I you know, I, there's this like element of being, you know, like like things being just and fair, 
And, um, you know, I think I've probably been, you know, very open with sharing feedback, you know, with, you know, people who I've worked for and, and those around me and being, you know, very like clear in that this cannot be done this way. Mm -hmm. Um, and we should do it this way. I'm trying to think of examples of this. Um, or if I feel like, you know, the approach isn't authentic or, you know, that, um, you know, perhaps like my client group was going to be on the losing end of this strategy. Like, you know, candidate experience was going to be the collateral damage of this decision. And it was, you know, we can't, we cannot like wreck our reputation um, in the candidate marketplace because we've made this business decision that absolutely pulls the rug out from that. Like things like that. Like I'm very, I, I guess I don't shy away from confrontation in that way. Um, so I've, not, I've, I've not probably when you, when had you're, some, Not when you see this unjust or unfair. No, I, you know, no. Um, and so I think, you know, I've definitely had some very charged conversations um, that, you know, may not have like, you know, it, it, it sort of missed the mark in knowing, is this the right time to have this? Is this the hill I want to die on? And is this the audience with whom it's appropriate to have this discussion? Like there is a different way to do this. There's, there's a, there's a solution here that everyone, where everyone can stand to win. Um, mm. This is not, this is not the way to do that. It, it becomes like adversarial and, um, you know, creates tension across the team. Is so, like, you know, is an example of that, like, uh, challenging a superior or a supervisor or employer uh, or even senior leadership in front of everyone else to make sure that you're the one that's seen defending all the people because you got to defend the people and then you go a little bit too aggressive or you cross the line a little bit too much and then they kind of dig their heels in even more and then nothing changes is that an yeah example of and that? then in yeah i mean i think you know there's now that you say that, so I, I worked for a startup years ago and, um, you know, it was very clear that we were struggling with, you know, um, how we were positioned in the marketplace. Like, I don't know that our platform was as mature as, as we led our clients to believe. And, um, you know, we, we invested a lot of time and energy into hiring all of these people to join the team to support this platform that, you know, was very clearly not, not hitting the mark. And, um, and then on top of it, it was very clear that we were going to have to, you know, readjust our go to market strategy, which meant, you know, different sales targets or different sales audiences, rather different sales profiles. So were we going to go direct selling or partner selling? Like it was very clear in this town hall meeting that we were struggling mightily, um, to meet the demands of our clients. And then I felt that our entire employee team could see this. Like it was very clear to me, you know, we are, we are being sold, you know, snake oil here. And so I said, you know, I think I said something to the effect of this doesn't make any sense at all. Like I, I don't, none of this really lands in a way that makes any sense to any of us here. Um, you know, something to that effect, like absolutely calling this out, um, you know, and, and, I remember having a conversation with our chief product officer after the fact, and I think I think he was surprised by this. And you know, nothing came of it, but you know, I think you know thereafter, half the company was laid off. You know, within the next month, and so you know, there was some like sense of validation I felt in the moment, but you know, at the time it was what what was I hoping to glean from all of this? Like, mm -hmm. what 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 happens here um, if I say this thing? It doesn't change anything. Um, you know, it creates now it's created confusion. It's now you know, 
shined a spotlight on this, you know, big glaring miss in their organization, but it doesn't create opportunities for collaboration. It doesn't put people in a mindset to say, you know, we've got this, you know, big problem in front of us. How do we solve our way out of it? How do we create these opportunities to um, create a win here for everyone? You know, really, it was just me. If you, if you were able to go back into that moment now, and you're at this town hall and like, you know, everything that you know now, right? You've already got your, you've got the additional years or maybe decade of wisdom and experience now and parenting and leadership experience as well. And you go back into that moment and you're going to do something. Maybe what do you, you're about, you're about to get up and go, we're selling snake oil and this is terrible. And you've, you've, you're you're lying to everybody. and This is horrific. And this is unfair. And you're about to get up and do something. What would you do? Um, you know, I'd like to think, you know, with, with a, a, a decade of wisdom under my belt, you know, I'd like to think, you know, if, if I were to stand up and ask a question, it's, you know, how can we as a team move forward? What, what are we in a position to do today in order to do X, Y, and Z? You know, something that was more solution oriented instead of being someone that very clearly is good at identifying a problem. Um, but that doesn't do any good. You know, the only way, you know, the only way out of this is through it. Mm-hmm. How can we, how can we meet the moment? You know, how can I, you know, cause what I've realized now with my role is it is my job. You know, I often say to CEOs that I work with and for, you know, it is not my job to understand the vision. I amplify it. My, my entire role here is to amplify exactly what we've settled on is our mission. What are we trying to deliver here? And how are we trying to deliver those items? Like what's our, you know, sort of value-based system in doing that. And so in doing this now, I, I'd like to think I would look at it through the lens of, um, you know, how can I create a, a solution-oriented call to action to the people of this company? Um, because they look to me to be someone who's sort of the heartbeat of the organization. Um, you know, I'm sort of this, um, live wire of emotion, um, in that way of sort of, you know, being very attuned to how people are feeling and how can we capitalize on, um, you know, feelings of fulfillment, of, of satisfaction, of, of, you know, impact of feeling like we're doing this great work, but also doing my best to make sure that we hear and validate those who are feeling frustration of concern. Um, but reframing those things in a way that still puts us on the right track. Yeah. Okay. And what could you imagine that you would have done differently? Would you have still stood up in that meeting and kind of called out what the problem is and start giving solutions? Would you have gone to the chief product officer afterwards? Would you have spoken to people individually and tried to find out what they're looking at? What? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have, I, I, I wouldn't have stood up and said anything in that meeting. Um, you know, I think, you know, it becomes a grassroots effort to understand, you know, how is the team feeling? And and people are not going to share that kind of feedback in a public setting. It's it's best done on one-on-one conversations. It's understanding the sentiment of um, the organization as a whole. And, you know, part of this is anonymous feedback. It's, you know, things like pulse surveys or engagement surveys that we do from time to time to understand. But you know, it's also engaging with people one-on-one and understanding, you know, how are you feeling right now in the work you're doing? You know, what sort of things should we be aware of? Um, what are the biggest opportunities for the organization? What are some things you feel are going well? You know, it's a lot of these things that put people in the frame of mind of, um, you know, this person values my feedback and I have an opportunity to have some sort of impact here with how we, how we move forward from here. So 
Um, I would absolutely not have stood up in that meeting. You know, I do my best work on a one-on-one basis. Yeah, what okay. I've realized. Yeah, that sounds that sounds powerful. You're you're talking primarily about uh, re reorienting the conversations towards solution. Like yes, identifying problem. Most people can't even identify a problem to start with. When when people come up to you with a suggestion all the time, they're probably just giving you the solution. It's like, wait, wait, what's the problem that you've got the solution to? Tell me what the problem is, right? And you're talking about just making sure that others are able to uh, share ultimately what what's most like how they're actually feeling and be able to be validated for it, and then to be able to what you're hoping that that gives them the opportunity or helps them feel like they have the opportunity to share their ideas to yeah, potentially it's, create more solutions. Yeah. It's sharing their ideas. Um, you know, in fact, I had this discussion with one of my colleagues earlier today, we're talking, you know, a lot about calibrating performance and performance management. And then you start to think of like, how do you do that? What are some things that we're thinking about as, as we do this? And, you know, the one part of this is performance. It's the obvious like role related types of things that people do as part of as part of their job that are on a job description that, you know, very clearly define success. There's this other part of it that's more potential focused. And it's really, you know, are these people attuned to, um, you know, identifying solutions when they don't have to? Are these people who, um, you know, are of service to those around them? Are they putting themselves in a position to be a mentor to others? Um, even when they don't formally have any reporting relationships? Are they displaying things like intellectual curiosity? Are they looking at things holistically and helping the team move forward, even if it's beyond their role? It's, you know, it's how we sort of define high potential employees. You know, so it's a lot of these things. How can we um, encourage people to think in that way? You know, it's thinking in this way that is more, you know, probably, um, uh, what's the word? You've got kind of like a visionary leader, you know, it's, challenging the people around us to think, yeah, I'm giving you a chance to think bigger here. You know, we've got this thing that you've identified. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Help me help me understand how you might work through this. Um, what would you do? What what can you um, what can you do to have any sort of impact in moving forward within, you know, the people around you, within your team, within adjacent teams? So it's affording people those opportunities. It's giving people agency is I think what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay. Agency to solve the problem, or agency to come up with the ideas that can potentially solve the problem. Both, and that's you know what I that's what I love about working in startups is both of those things can be true at a company like ours. We often have the visibility to see things um, beyond the bounds of our own departments. Um, so the ability to identify, solve, but also have the opportunity to work collaboratively across department lines, across an organization, um, even as far up in the organization as the executive team to help solve these things. We often rely on everyone in an organization to you know, solve, solve a problem. Mm. Yeah, I like that. It's the startup mentality. It's a, it's a yeah. valuable message, probably for everyone to learn. I mean, but even still in a larger corporate, it still makes sense for people to be able to have that perspective. Um, it does. You know, what I, what I haven't been able to crack, you know, the, the challenge for me is, you know, chain of command is strong. Um, you know, there's siloed approaches in larger organizations. There is, you know, there's bureaucracy. There's, you know, there are political headwinds at, at larger organizations. And and the pace of change is just slower. Um, so you've got to have some serious resolve 
to be able to, you know, employ employ this mindset at that at that scale. And I'm certain it can be done. I think, you know, I look at the kind of leader I am and the kinds of teams and the kinds of people I like to work with. And, you know, I do think, you know, my my skill set just falls better in a startup world simply due to the pace and and scale and size. But um yeah, I'm 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 sure you're right. It can be done. It just takes, you know, a much different approach. I remember <laughs> this is well as it um a large bank in Australia, a large corporation. Uh and there was a there was a team event. We went away for a weekend or whatever it was, uh, for two nights and we had these like these kind of work team stuff which is going on. And this was in a place where I was working where we were all working with high net worth clients who are all revenue producers, basically. And the manager was uh was asking one of the leaders was asking, Okay, so tell me. Like they, they were trying to be very engaging with the team and like come on, let's be cohesive and said, Tell me what needs to be fixed, what's wrong? Like what's the worst part about your job here? Like ask those, uh, ask that type of question. Like thinking that asking that means that just your own vulnerability and that able to engage other people. And it was, she regretted it very quickly because it was silence, dead silence. No one wanted to say anything. And then she's like, come on, someone. And then finally one person said, uh, he was pretty senior in, in the business or had been around for quite a while and a high revenue producer. He basically just said, I... I feel like I'm a I'm a battery in a massive machine and as soon as I'm drained out, you're just gonna chuck it away, chuck me away and then just replace with someone else uh, with another battery. And it's like And it's time for morning tea. <laughs> like she just didn't know how to engage with it. Like had a bit of a conversation about it and then other people were kind of like nodding along and then she felt intimidated by it. And so I think it's like it it's great that you're sharing. It's like great, give people agency, get people to come up with what the problems that they're facing and all that kind of stuff. But how do you do it the right way so that you don't end up in that type of situation, especially if you're relatively new in the organization and you're trying to create change or enact change? Like, how does, how does that happen? I mean, change is hard. I think, you know, part of this is like, there was, there was a home for that kind of conversation that, you know, this person had had with your team. There absolutely mm -hmm. is a place for this. But, you know, the environment has to be cultivated. It has to be created in a way with thought and care, you've got to have a group of people who are ready to receive that message. Um, and you've got to have a group of people who are ready to, ready and willing to give it, even understanding what repercussions might come there. There's got to be a safe environment created. So I think when you think about how this is done well, you know, part of this is leadership is not just driving toward OKRs. Again, it's coming back to the same idea that we employed in recruiting. You have to understand the motivations for why people are doing the things that they want to do. You have to create an environment that gives people matches matches the ask with how people, you know, are are attuned to solving that particular challenge or problem. You know, in that case, it's um, you know, I think about, you know, asking what's wrong, like um, how uh, like creating an environment where you know, like thinking about this, it's um, like has has the leader endeared themselves to the team? Have they created those opportunities to give people? you know, visibility, not visibility, um, you know, give people the opportunity to, you know, um, like have a have wider impact, have a wider audience. Have they, you know, advocated for them and, and, and their work? Have they, you know, had these opportunities of intentional leadership beyond, 
you know, like standard driving toward goals. I'm trying to think of how I can explain this in a way. I feel like I'm getting um, off track here. It's, um, you know, this level of advocacy and trust and support. It's all of the things that we employ with our friends around us every day. You think about the successful relationships you have with your friends. Those are born of, you know, um, like, again, reciprocity. It is, you know, trust. It is, um, you know, seeing seeing us at our highest highs and lowest lows. Um, and the relationship never falters. You know, things might change slightly with the approach, but, you know, there's still the constant of, you know, trust and reciprocity. You know, as a leader, it's it's not all that different. It is not all that different. Um, you know, there has to be some, you know, some rapport with the people you meet. I feel like I, I've got an idea of how I want to answer this question and I'm just not getting there. Um, I mean, if we if we stick with the friendship, um, the friendship metaphor, I mean, the, the other two things, you've got to have value alignment and objective alignment as well. Like what do uh-huh. you both want from the relationship? And uh-huh. what do you both value in your own lives that the relationship can bring more of? And then I guess when you couple that or those two aspects with what you're referring to of trust and reciprocity, like people working together and trusting that they can rely on the other person to work with them. Is that is that kind of like all the key ingredients or is there, is there something else? That needs to happen in organization. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, in an organization, there's it, yes, there's there's other ingredients here um, because it's different. It is different, like mm-hmm. you know, friendship and a work environment are different because there is also a goal you you need to achieve. Like there, there's a set of things of output that you have to deliver on, and so there is this, um, you know, sense of there has to be like you know, shared accomplishment. There has to be, um, um, gosh, <laughs> I, it's, it's, I'm sort of dancing around this idea in my head and can't articulate it, but, um, you know, it is, it, it, I don't know. Let me give this one some thought. You just, you just did what you said you learned how to do over the last 15 years. Good job. I know. I know. I, I, I want, <laughs> I, I do. And I, it's, I'm, you know, this is exactly it. it. This one needs due consideration. There is this element here because I don't want to draw this straight line comparison between friendships and, you know, working with our colleagues and getting the best of the people on your team. But, you know, and you're right, there is this objective and value alignment here, but there is this, um, you know, there's this, um, it's a leap of faith. Like there is, you know, there is this, this, objective at play here you know you're all driving toward this but there has to be this safe place to try things out this you know safe ideation space there has to be you know a um you know just a lot of trust yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do the thing i'm gonna say i'm gonna give this one some thought let's come back to this one let's come back to it i mean in a in a similar vein we've i mean we've discussed previously about the parallels between leadership and parenting do you want to do you want to share some of the things you've learned uh from parenting that have then taught you how to become a better leader yeah i think you know the the number one thing is this you know level of humility parenting has brought to my life i think you know much like before i ever led teams or you know was in a position to decide on a direction for a department you know i think i had these ideas of what i would do you know it was emphatically believing that I would never do this or I would absolutely do this or I would show up in this way. 
you know, and, and as I learned in parenting, when I, my husband and I always laugh, I had, you know, this very strong aversion to my girls, like, you know, having this obsession with Disney princesses, it was, you know, this completely unattainable goal. And, you know, it wasn't the life I wanted for my girls and thinking that they needed to be, you know, relying on others to, to help, help solve the challenge for them. I wanted them to feel like it was on their shoulders, which is like, what an absolutely ridiculous idea to put forth like in my mind for a, a one and two year old and so um I said, three years I'm old like, never rely on anybody uh, like i, I get i get the I've, I've got two young daughters as well so I'm, I'm with you like i'm with you there in the in the core of it right like you don't need a you don't need to have a boy that's going to come and save you but i guess your, right. your girls are a bit older right how how old are your kids they're four and six and then i've got a 17 year old um stepdaughter okay. and so Okay. You know, I think, you know, the goal, and I'm sure you feel the same way about your, your girls. That's, you know, I want, I want them to feel capable. I want them to feel that they're good enough and worthy. And I'm sure a lot of this is born out of, you know, all the insecurities that, you know, anyone, anyone I know has carried around for the entirety of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and wanting to be seen in this world as, you know, as good as, um, you know, anyone around us, you know, cause I think, um, you know, in generations past, like there's been this huge shift in expectations for women and, and the kinds of, you know, roles we would hold in lives. And so, you know, I think mine and probably the generation before me, like were the first instances of, you know, being in a position to, um, you know, to have professional success and really explore that fully. So, you know, I told my husband, I'm like, absolutely not. My girls are not wearing um, Disney princess merchandise. There will be none in my house. And, you know, lo and behold, it's, you know, of course, um, you know, it's, it's everywhere in my house. They've seen, you know, probably all the movies by this point and they have, and they love these characters and it's pure. Like, I think what you realize is your expectations of this thing that you fear, um, you know, end up showing up in a way I could have never conceived. And I think, you know, when I think about taking those lessons in parenthood, also, I, I said, my kids will only eat the healthiest foods. And, you know, I, I probably have the pickiest eater in the history of eaters. And I, you know, I just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh at how little I knew. And so I think about those lessons and, you know, how I've now shown up with, you know, the teams that I'm a part of. And, you know, I, I, I think what I've now learned is it's okay to say, I don't know. Um, it is not my job to know all the answers. It is my job to figure out how to fight them. And that's through the people that I hire at my team. It's through listening tours and getting to know the people in the organizations I support. It's understanding things like the motivations of, of why people do the work they do or want to do, or how can we get them to that place where they get to explore those things in the future. So it's, it's sort of understanding, you know, I have little to no control over the outcome here. All I can do is help guide people toward, you know, what they might, um, you know, might want to do. And the same goes with my kids. And I think the other thing I've learned is, um, you know, it's just this, you know, level of empathy, you know, you see like it, there's such purity in how, you know, kids, you know, go from babies to toddlers and learn things, you know, seemingly on a daily basis at that point. And it's just this absolute wonder and awe of, you know, being a part of that. It's, um, and I think to some degree, some of that plays out professionally. You hire someone at you know, you see them develop and grow and it, it is our job as parents and I think as leaders to help cultivate those opportunities and, and, and clear, 
clear those hurdles out of the way for people to achieve those things. And so I think it's getting out of people's way. And it's not my job um, to go through the journey. It's just, you know, my job to make sure that um, the path is clear as much as I can. How does that specifically apply for you with parenting? Like, especially for your for your young ones, right? Especially for the four and six year old. Because um, they're, they're pretty, they're intense years, right? Um, there's they a are. lot of emotions. There's a lot of maturity. Us as parents always want our kids to be far more mature than they're ready to be. Uh, but then we also don't want them to be too mature because we still want them to be dependent on us. Because if they're not dependent, like if they don't need us anymore <laughs> and they're entirely self-sufficient, then there goes the attachment. And they're not ready to have no attachment, so they'll just find it with their peers or somewhere else. And so how like, you're talking about the purity. I'm not sure exactly what you mean about but when you say the purity of like from baby to toddler and kind of growing up. But then also you're referring to like get out of their way and empathize and support them. How does yeah. that how does that very practically, tangibly apply with you with raising kids? Yeah. And I think when I say purity, it's, you know, watching someone who has no agenda, no ulterior motives, no mm. anything. Like they're just exploring and figuring things out. They're learning, you know, these these new skills seemingly out of nowhere. And so it's just sort of this awesome opportunity to watch something happen like purely in an organic sort of situation um you know but i think in you know tangibly as a parent i think it is you know understanding those those moments where it is it is appropriate for me to step in um but also understand when you know there is just no there's no benefit for me you know being involved in the situation sometimes as a parent you have to let things happen as they were meant to happen um, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's, um, and I, you know, maybe it's like forcing the issue. Like sometimes people need to learn things the hard way in order to, you know, work their way through it and understand how to do it better the next time. So, you know, the, like, like I'd mentioned, it's, um, you know, I've got a daughter who is an incredibly picky eater and, you know, I think for a long time, it was this battle of wills over, you know, you will eat this or you will not eat that. And now is the time for this to, you know, be eaten or not eat. And like basically thinking if I set enough constraints or rules around this process, that at some point this person will do the things that I, I want them to do, mm -hmm. you know, and then it just becomes, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an awful, it's an awful situation. It's, it's not changed. And then I think at some point it, you realize like this will continue to happen or not continue to happen regardless of what I choose to do. Is this, is this, is this the real, is this how I want this night to go? Is this how I want this day to go? Is this how I want to look back at this week and think, you know, the success or failure comes down to mealtime. You know, this will work itself out over time. I think it's just the grace of, we'll figure this out. It's today's not going to be that day or this week may not be this week or um, this year may not be this year, but it's, offering options it's offering you know different um scenarios but not forcing the issue so a lot of people listening to this who have kids are probably freaking out about that because they're yeah. hearing wait 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 wait. then you're just accepting mediocrity like you're just <laughs> you're accepting mediocrity this is terrible you can't be compassionate <laughs> I mean, a, a recent a relatively recent uh podcast episode with, with a guy named james kirby who spent um he spent decades on uh academically uh, studying compassion and practicing compassion focused therapy in the clinical psychology uh, practice of his own 
uh, and has done a lot of incredible work. He wrote a book called Choose Compassion. His, uh, it's amazing. And I asked him the same question. It's, like, it's not. It's not the case. You can't just like we. It couldn't be further from the truth. Like the criticism and the judgment that people can have as a result of not being able to, um, of not being able to choose their own path, and um, and so telling you terrible you're making the wrong choice or you should be doing better than this or whatever it is um, just actually causes their amygdala to and the hippocampus to shut the whole system down I, i'm curious from your experience because it sounds like this is something that you've really uh battled with uh like the just you you mentioned the word grace uh or the the value of grace you you kind of mentioned like you don't want to over control the situation anymore but you really want it to be a particular way because you care and love about your kids uh, care about and love your kids right yeah how do you how do you balance it how have you managed to overcome that paradigm of or that belief that uh accepting uh, like accepting kids being kids is going to accept mediocrity yeah i mean i think you know it's this idea you'd asked earlier how do i define success and one of the things you know that i was challenged to rethink and this is just in the last few weeks and this this applied to work at the time, but now, you know, I probably see this is what I was trying to get at here. Like it's redefining your definition of success sometimes. Like it is not, there's not a single definition in any, in any situation. Um, mm. You know, and I mean this to say like in this instance, um, sometimes it is not about, you know, this child successfully eating the entire plate of food. You know, sometimes it's a matter of adoption. Can I get this person to at least try something or move in that direction? Can I make some meaningful um, step in that, in that direction, you know, so that this person, you know, may not do exactly what I, what I'd intended this to be or how I, how I wanted this to go. Um, but there is some progress. Um, and I think you know, that's something I still, I still struggle with professionally today. Um, and I certainly struggle with it as a parent when you think, gosh, like kid, I've got, you know, 35 years on you and you know but they don't know this like in their mind it's you know they have what you know they they intend to do in the situation and we have like the luxury of wisdom and knowledge and all of this experience but um sometimes you have to redefine how exactly are we defining success here all right fine tacos are off the table this kid is absolutely not going to eat this but there is still a win here like all right fine we're not going to do this will you agree to do this like it's a negotiation. It is a compromise. It is identifying a win for all people involved. Like, how can we both leave the situation feeling as though, um, you know, we both gained something here? Um, mm. And so it's like employing this at home with my kids because, you know, um, I think that level of, you know, compassion of, you know, of nurturing energy, um, you know, this is like, part of the big thing that has informed the work I do every day, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's still, we all have wants and needs. We all have a sense of control we want to have in any situation. Um, but it's not a zero sum game. <laughs> um, there is a way for things to be of value for all involved. If we just look at the problem a different way or redefine the way we think of success at all. Yeah, uh, and a few things came up for me as I was as I was hearing that. Like the, uh, yeah, uh, this is the example. The two examples have come up, uh, which I'm which I'm sharing because I've 
anytime I've shared it with parents, they've really resonated. So hopefully it's resonating with whoever's listening to this. Uh, the one example is uh, recently my daughter, who's three years old, a bit over three, came up to me with a toy and she was really upset and it was broken. It's like a, it's, it's, a key, it's like an electric keyboard, but it's a small one. Which has, it's attached to some paper, which you can play the tunes as you follow it. And so like it's, it, it's broken, it's broken, fix it. Uh, oh, oh, it's broken. It's not working. Okay, I'll just, I'll throw it away. And I took it and started walking over to the rubbish bin. And then within about a second or two, she's like, wait, daddy, wait. I said, what? She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm throwing it out because it's broke. You said it's broken, so it's broken. It's like, no, daddy, I'll fix it. And she took it and she came back a, a few minutes later and she said, look, it's working. I said, oh, it's working now. I thought it was broken. What did you do? And she's like, she, I turned it over and there's this little black thing. And then when you move it and then it starts working again, she found the switch. Congratulations. Uh, I'm like, wow, you did it, right? Because like she had complete agency in that moment. Like she, she realized that if she wants to play with this toy that she really wants, then she's going to have to work out how to solve it. She can't just mm -hmm. rely on other people to solve her problems. But the other thing, and I'm, I'm still not sure how I properly feel about this, but when, when we, especially my wife, because she's the better cook out of the two of us, uh, when, when we prepare really beautiful food for our, for our daughter, and she's, then suddenly she just doesn't want to eat it. It's like, okay, if you don't want to eat now, that's all right. But just know we're only eating as a family. So if you don't eat while we're a family now, and then we take the food away, there's going to be no more food later. Now, a lot of parents are like, oh, you're punishing her for not eating and blah, 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 whatever. I'm like, well, not exactly. Like, she's just learning that there's a... Giving her the choice. Yeah, she's got a choice. She's got agency for herself. And then when she is hungry later, she's crying or whatever. I'm like, well, what do you... And give her cuddles. And then eventually, it's what do you want to do about it? I want to go to sleep. Or um, I'm going to go to the kitchen and have my have my oat milk okay then she can go and do it herself because she can go and reach it and she can prepare it for herself it's like well then you've got to take it in like they've got to take it into their own hands i mean in australia <laughs> i imagine pretty much the same in the u.s uh there aren't there aren't many kids who are uh who are starving or malnourished there aren't many there might like there might be more than what would want to accept but there aren't many and that's and that's because they never have the food in front of them as an option it's not as a result of their parents not being convincing enough to make the kids eat the food that they should be eating, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what other lessons about parenting have you learned so far, which clearly lead over into leadership? Um, you know, I think it is, It's as I mentioned earlier, it's just humbling. You know, I think um, it... Um, you know, I, and I think like every, every step of this journey has been, has brought different things. Like it's brought a different challenge. And, you know, I, as I was thinking about this too, it's, um, I was reading this book, it's called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And there was this passage I read earlier, it was talking about this idea of, you know, once you've achieved something. So like once you achieve your child sleeping through the night, or once you get to the point where your child can buckle themselves in the car. Or once you get to the point where your child is potty trained, it's like, you know, in those moments, you feel like you've done it. Like I've, I've reached the pinnacle of parenting success. 
until you haven't because the next problem inevitably presents itself like something yeah. else will come some other challenge comes to the table and i think you know that's the biggest thing you know i can think of is i've like seen this journey now from you know i met our 17 year old when she was three so we've now you know sort of experienced these these teenage years with her which you know brought their own set of difficulties and challenges that i could have never anticipated and then the same holds true with our four and six years old or four and six year old you know, in their own ways, because even when, you know, you solve, you solve something in one way with one child, you know, inevitably that doesn't work with the next. It doesn't work with the next. Like, you know, so I guess it's you, while you may feel like you've arrived, you've never arrived. Like it is constant arrival, you know, because you've now done something else, something more complex, more complicated. You've solved, you know, something else along the journey. And I think that's you know, really informed the work I do because um, it's never, it is, you know, I think about it the same way as relationships, like, you know, you date and you think like, oh my, I'm so excited to get married. Like we're planning this wedding. Everyone's so excited to go. It seems like it is the final destination, the culmination of your relationship. But anyone who's been married now realizes like now the hard work starts. It is, you know, the constant calibration of being a partner and, you know, the game changes, the the rules of the game change, the, you know, the seasons of life are, you know, different and, you know, people grow and morph and, and do their own thing. And so, you know, it's really the same with parenthood. It's the same with work. It's, it's never, if you get to the point where you think you've done it, um, that you're going about it all wrong because uh, inevitably it will change um, and something else will present itself. I remember reading something from, I think it was Leila Homozi. Um uh, have you heard of um if, yeah, okay she she and her husband uh alex homozy they they're basically investors in companies with three plus mil or 30 plus mil of revenue um because they've built up some pretty successful businesses themselves and basically they're now just investors slash entrepreneurs in a whole bunch of different companies and she shared that there was a there's a specific moment when she knew that they're going to lose millions of dollars on their investment in a particular company. She was at the board meeting and the CEO said, I don't know if we want to try these new things you're suggesting. We're, we're pretty comfortable right now. And as soon as she heard that, it's like, well, if you're not outdoing yourself every year, then you're, you're just going to be waiting for competitors to outdo you instead. You got to keep outdoing yourself. And, and I mean, I guess like we, where it's almost as if it's ingrained in our mindset to have this, to have the thought pattern of when I get there, when I have this, when I get the pay rise, when I get that job, when I do that, whatever, then I'm going to be X happy or successful or right. relaxed or calm or feel good about myself, whatever it is. Right. When I get married, then I'm going to be happy. When I have kids, <laughs> now I'm going to be it's like, Hey, you don't know what the hell's in front of you. Uh, but <laughs> even, even as soon as someone like I've done a lot of, finance work with clients or financial advisor as well and pay creep is is extreme someone gets a pay rise and it might be substantial right it might be 20 30 50 percent of a pay rise and no matter what the percentage is they kind of only notice it for about six months and then mm-hmm. after that it's basically disappeared because they like they adjust to the new thermostat or to the new climate I mean, I guess there there are two ways that you manage it. It's either the one side you just keep hustling and grinding and make sure that you keep getting to the next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, and then you know maybe you'll achieve incredible, tangible results. I don't know if that's incredible life results, but incredible tangible results. Uh, or you decide to 
uh, shift your perspective as to what you're really valuing in each moment mm -hmm. and then hoping that that's going to flow through into different action. And what's that been, what's that been for you? It's, it sounds like from when you were defining success in the beginning, it was definitely the, when I get that, then I'll be happy. When I get that new status, new recognition, new validation or whatever it is, or new pay, then I'll be happy. It's true. Yeah. Um, but what, what's it for you now? I, and it's, you know, it's the same idea we talked about before. I, you know, it's, and I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and, you know, it's basically like, you know, podcasts have now become this like self-help book in mm -hmm. a 30 minute, you know, type of thing. And it's, you know, things like, um, you know, how, how to lead a happier life or how can, you know, you, we sort of cure these feelings of insecurity, you know, things like around this idea of how can we feel more happiness generally. And, um, and you're right, like pay creep is one of those things where we see this play out professionally, where you think you get to this point and all of a sudden like money or titles or status cures, all of the things that we struggled with before. Um, but what I've, what I found and what I'd love, what I love doing in my work is pairing that with understanding how can we create impact or how can we create value in this work or how can we create, um, shared success across the team? How can we create a way for people to see the impact of that success with their client groups or with, you know, external, um, you know, partners, prospects, whomever, how can we identify these ways that, um, you know, that there are shared victories. I think that's, you know, sort of this idea of um, how can we ensure that money and title is not the only way people are defining success, you know, and, and maybe that's it. Maybe when I think of how do I define success, you know, first of all, it depends on the situation, but it is giving myself the freedom to redefine it based on, you know, each instance. But I think the common thread that I'll weave through all of this is how can we create those shared opportunities for other people to win with us? Um, and I think that's been really the the one thing that's created this level of satisfaction in my career I didn't have. I think it's why when I think of what I want to be doing for the next 40 years in my life, this is the work I want to do because I found a way to marry both of those things, you know, feel like I have the ability to make these sort of, to ask these big questions. Um, how can we do these things? Or is it possible that we do X, Y, and Z? Um, and also create those opportunities for people um, to do so collaboratively. Um, based, to create based, on the opportunities, based on the opportunities they want, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm really curious your perspective because uh, a lot of your LinkedIn posts are focused on uh, basically empathizing with those who have been laid off uh, where okay. in early 23. I had to check the calendar. I don't know why I just checked my calendar. Um, but we're, we're in uh, early 23 as we're recording this and there's the whole debacle with Tesla and Google and Facebook and Amazon and all these companies are laying off okay. a hell of a lot of workers. And in okay. the long run, I suspect that they're probably going to be looked back on as those are the, those are the savvy CEOs of fortune 500 companies that saw what was coming and made sure their businesses were ready. And, but then like someone like Elon Musk is getting a hell of a lot of flack about what's happening in Twitter. Uh, and laying off so many people. But at the end of the day, he decided to change the culture. And the only people who the the only ones who have decided to stick around are the ones who are getting fulfillment from their work by being part of a tech startup vibe with a like really high standards and they want to be some of the best programmers in the world. And that means they've probably found that they're in the right company to be able to do it. 
but they probably wouldn't have had those opportunities before. I'm really okay. curious how how you balance out the culture change that's required or the, the impact of the culture change that's required, which is giving more fulfillment to some staff and employees, but it's laying off a whole lot of others because of a whole range of different reasons. I'm, I'm just really curious your take on Twitter as an example, but as a representative of what happens in other companies as well. Um, you know, I think uh, there's, there's a lot of facets to this. You know, I mm -hmm. don't know that it is strictly a culture versus, you know, values versus performance, you know, sort mm -hmm. of conversation. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other things, but, um, you know, as it relates to organizations like Twitter, for instance, you know, I think, um, you know, there is, there are people that will see value in that vision. They will they will identify with the the sort of objectives that have been laid out with the values that have been put forth um and and so what elon has done is is has made an intentional um uh, you know he's 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 um you know basically decreed that that's that's the value those are the values and and the culture of twitter moving forward and there will be people that align with those things and feel like this is a company that embodies the things that are meaningful to me um, and there are those people that are impacted by a reduction in force for a variety of reasons. And there will be those people who will willingly choose to leave because it no longer aligns with those values. Mm. You know, and I think um, it's it's a complicated discussion when you think of yeah. the motivations for all of those people involved. Um, but, you know, I think um, we'll look back at this time, too. And I think, you know, someone had mentioned to me instead of like the great resignation or you know, we're, we're in the midst of the great realization. And I think, you know, what people have gone through over the pandemic is that, you know, we sort of understood, like, or asked ourselves rather, what are my values? And, and what are the things that I found to be important to me in the work that I do? And, you know, if this were to end tomorrow, what's the legacy I want to have? And how do I want to show up in the world? And what does that look like in terms of impact? And, and how do I, how do I move forward during this time where, you know, things feel, um, fragile. And so I think there was that piece of things. And then we had this great resignation where people are acting upon those things. It was, I have, you know, the balance of power shifted, had shifted into the hands of candidates and people were able to explore those values and explore aligning with companies that felt like they, um, you know, spoke to them in that way, you know, and I think now it's, you know, so we've now swung from both extremes and we're now coming back probably somewhere in the middle of this great realization that, you know, there is what candidates want and what organizations want. And, you know, as is the case with most scenarios, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Um, and I think we'll sort of see this iron itself out over time. But I think it's, you know, we're we're seeing the pendulum swift or shift back and forth between those two extremes. And we're sort of seeing this, um, you know, level out at this point. But um, I don't know. It's 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 an awfully complicated um talent marketplace right now and you know it's difficult to watch i really do empathize because it's um it's hard to watch the people of these organizations go through these instances where um you know it feels hard and it feels like you're questioning your worth and the market is attuned to, to marching on and it and it feels like you know you have been left behind but I do also believe, as I'd mentioned earlier, that those perceived failures are often the greatest times of growth, that there is this opportunity to re-examine values. There's an opportunity to re-examine 
are you in the right kind of role? Is this the kind of work I want to be doing? You know, it's an opportunity to ask yourself some of those questions that um, you may not have given yourself the time to ask or um, you've been, you know, now is the time you're being forced to, to think about those things. So I do think there's an upside here. It's awful. Mm-hmm. I have great empathy for it, but I do think there's some opportunity for upside. How do, so someone listening to this and let's just say that uh, maybe maybe they've they've already been made redundant uh, or they've been um, they've been one of the reductions in workforce um, or they're just this, or they've just realized like what you realized 10 15 years ago no I'm not I'm not in the right place <laughs> this can't be forever and they're they're listening to this and they go wow okay Abby's kind of sorted this out right like not not entirely got it all sorted but she's she's on the right track she's she's clearly made some much more intentional decisions and she's made those decisions while going through two bouts of maternity and raising a a three-year-old stepdaughter into a 17-year-old and all of the challenges that come with it right and your marriage and everything else that you're responsible for uh, and your own passions and your own learnings and someone's now listening to this and they're thinking, oh, I got to be more purposeful with my work. Like I got to do something different. I know I can't keep doing this for the next 40 years or the next 30 years or even 20 years. What do you suggest that they start doing to clarify both if they should change, like change their circumstances versus changing their perception uh, and their view or uh, and what can they do to start moving in the right direction like tangibly taking the steps to move in the right direction what can what words of wisdom would you share with them i i mean i think there's great power and vulnerability um i and i think in those instances where i found myself in these same in their same shoes i think it was cathartic and powerful to share and and give like a name to what i was feeling with the people in my in my network and i think first of all it was like a trusted group of people around me and feeling those big feelings because it's, it's a lot. Like I think, Mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the immediate aftermath of those scenarios, it is, you know, probably anger. It's incredible sadness. It is, you know, can I find a position that one will hire me to, will bring me work that I even like doing? Like it's, it's a lot of these like existential types of questions. Um, and then once you're in a position to move beyond that, I think what I tried to do was find people in my network that, you know, I admired, I, I saw these things that I were complementary to what I brought to the table. It was, I admired them for, you know, being in a, in the type of organization I wanted to be a part of, like a startup, you know, those, the intrigue of working at these companies that I've really fell in love with and allowing for myself to explore those things. You know, I, I now had the time. So explore it, like give myself the chance to put myself out there in that way of saying, Hey, like, tell me more about this thing. What do you think? Um, can you, can you help me understand like, you know, the scope of working at an organization like this or, you know, this type of work, um, you know, and I moving into this role, one of the people that I ultimately did that with was my former boss who was at that company, (laughs) um, uh, that I, that I, you know, stood up at the town hall and and Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, very abrasively um, expressed my opinions. But this is someone I came to really respect. And I think the tone of our conversations came to be, how did you get to this point? What were the things that you did? Um, You know, asking for ways to make those meaningful steps in a career that I think I thought I could be good at, 
Um, but I, again, you needed someone to believe in you. You needed someone to give you some, some glimpse behind the curtain of what it really looked like. So, um, you know, it's vulnerability. It is, it is setting up conversations with people in your network. It is, um, um, you know, like leaving no stone unturned. You know, I think every, every conversation is an opportunity. And, you know, one of the things that my dad would always say to me was, um, you know, never turn down an interview. You just never know what, what will come of those conversations. Um, so it's being open for opportunities, staying open to opportunities that are, are beyond, you know, the kinds of things you might want to do. Um, so it's openness, it's vulnerability, it's putting yourself out there. It is um, most of all being patient because even when I think about this particular search, so I'm now at Render, you know, previously I was at a company called Solvi working for a CEO. When I talk about this idea of working for someone that believes in you, I mean, I, I, I've said to him a number of times that he changed my life and he did. He, he changed the entire trajectory of my career by taking a chance on someone who was rather untested in this, in this kind of role. Um, and, you know, through that work and, and even in my, you know, performance review, one of the things that he'd said to me was, um, you know, I, sometimes I think I believe in you when you don't believe in you. Um, and it was this power of finding someone in your network that regardless of how you may be perceiving how you show up in the work you do or how you think you're doing um, is always there to encourage and trust that you're on the right path. Um, and it was powerful. Like the, the confidence I felt in the work I was doing, the trust I felt to do this kind of work. And, um, you know, when we were ultimately acquired by Zoom and the, you know, scope and, and type of role I inherited just changed mightily. You know, I think I felt this great failure, not failure. It was grief. I felt this huge sense of grief that, this role that I loved, um, this person I loved working for, um, this boss that I felt really gave this level of empathy, of thought and care to the people around him, and still does, that I'd never find it again. You know, I think it was, how could I possibly be that lucky again in my career? Um, and it was hard. It was a very hard, probably four months of time, trying to figure out how can I put myself in this position to be able to do this work again. Um, and so, you know, even even if it seems like, you know, I've, I've figured it out or I've navigated my way to this, you know, to this type of role that I've, you know, been a parent and, and been through some trials and tribulations with them. We've never arrived. And I, and I know that, I mean, I feel that every day, even today, it's patience with the fact that the, the things that were challenging are still challenging for me. It still takes work. It still takes attention. Um, it still takes, you know, constant vigilance over how I'm doing and, and really being honest with myself about uh, whether I'm working toward those things at all. It is it is constant growth every day. Um, and so what I would say to people is um, you really got to give yourself some grace on how you approach this process because it is work every day, just like every every meaningful relationship in our lives. It's work every single day. Yeah. And that, that's like a redefinition of work for you. It doesn't mean that just because it's hard work doesn't mean that it's bad. doesn't mean that it's something to avoid or that's something that it's going to have to drain you. It's, there's, if there's a purpose behind it, then you can pursue it. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful. There, there's something which I want to touch on from what you just shared as well. Like uh, That's the part where you really start talking about mentors. You mentioned two specifically, uh, your ex-CEO and also your previous boss uh, at the company where you, where you 
had a learning experience. <laughs> I guess we can we can call it that. Um, I mean, the the purpose of this podcast is to bring mentors to individuals. That's why you're on here, right? People who are listening to this can be mentored by you as well. Are those are those the two main mentors that you've had in your life? Um, I you know I probably opened myself to the idea only in the past few years. You know, I, I, I think I always knew I needed someone in my life. I, I don't know if I knew what complementary skills or, you know, what I would look, what I would need to look for in a mentor, you know? So I think, you know, in the past five years, yes. Um, but I certainly hope they're not the last, um, you know, it's just, they're, they're the two I've admired the most one because, um, you know, the the um the woman whom whom I worked for at that organization a long time ago who's now a dear friend of mine, you know it's it's really great to have someone who's in a position who's you know now in a position similar to hers and it's great to understand like challenges and that how we navigate through those things and and being able to talk with someone who can help guide those you know discussions and guide that solution minded thinking because she's done those things and I also really love her level of vulnerability and showing up in the work that she does. Um, I've always, I've always really loved that about her. Um, you know, and I think, you know, when I think about my, my former CEO, you know, this is someone who I aspire to be like on every human level. It's someone who never stops displaying these characteristics that I just find are of such value to the people around him. Like I joked with him at one point in time, I said, um, you know, I would walk over burning hot coals barefoot for you. And I would because he would do the same for absolutely everyone around him to the point where, you know, um, my former organization, Zoom, announced some layoffs yesterday. I think they you know, ultimately laid off 15% of the workforce. And, um, you know, some of my former colleagues were affected. It was a hard day. It was hard seeing them, you know, put these posts on LinkedIn that we've all grown accustomed to seeing. And, you know, it just hits a nerve. It hits, you know... It, it makes me feel terrible for these people that I've found so capable and um, and just do great work. And um, and so he had taken the time not just to respond to each of these posts, um, but to give that's such depth, such thought, very specific examples of the specific value that these people brought to the table in interactions that he'd had um, in the work that they'd done, um, encouraging them to, um, you know, continue to do that where it was just it's what I've always admired about this person and why people continue to work for him time and time again. Um, I'd be, I, I could only count myself as so lucky, um, to be able to have the opportunity to work with this person again, simply because of the way he works with the people around him, the level of care and respect and empathy he has. Um, and so, you know, for him, it's, it's, again, he's the kind of person I aspire to be. So when I look at my mentors, I've got one who is navigating the same journey um, you know, trying to figure out the same kinds of challenges uh, that I am today. And the other is, if I could be 50% of this person as a leader, um, I'm doing a hell of a job. And, um, and I just admire him incredibly. I love, I love that. It reminded me of that post probably sometime last year uh, of the, the crying CEO. It got a lot of Got a lot of yeah. views or whatever. Yeah, you remember? Basically like a yeah, CEO yeah. cry like a CEO crying because he just had to lay off a whole bunch of people and he feels so bad for them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
great it's great that you're it's great that you're being vulnerable and sharing your experience uh, but there's something about it which just isn't entirely authentic and i think that people can tell that right they can feel it <laughs> but also he's it's just talking about himself he's not it's not going on like this is what reminded me from what you were sharing he's not going out there on the linkedin and and making a new post every day about the value of each of the employees that he's been forced to uh, yeah. that he feels like he's being forced to let go of. Like, imagine if he did that instead. He would have had so much praise. Like, if he just went through and every day he just made a post about, uh, this is a person who, if you don't know this person yet, you got to find out. Uh, you got to find out about them. They've done this, 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 and this. And in my company, they were incredible for these reasons. If I wasn't <laughs> forced to because of business requirements in the economy, then I would keep them forever and I look forward to hiring them again. If you know anyone who if you or anyone else wants to hire someone like this, get, get in touch with them. They're incredible. Right. I imagine if and they just did the that every day. Right. And that's, that's what this person did. Like this was not a one-off, you know, for the purposes of visibility and my network, I'm going to appear as this leader. Like this is the kind of person that was intentional about creating opportunity for everyone around him. Again, it was creating um, his definition with success was creating opportunities for others to be successful. When I think about like the kind of person, the kind of leader I'd love to be, it is exactly that. It is this idea of shared success through creating opportunity. And it's, you know, maybe in some level it's selfishly driven. Like, you know, I, sometimes I wonder like, is this, you know, with the Taylor Swift song where it's, you know, narcissism um, disguised as altruism. Like, is this, you know, then I start to worry, like, is this a reflection of the people doing those things? And this is not him, you know, but then you start to worry, like, Am I trying to create these opportunities because, you know, it becomes like a pyramid scheme of success. Like then it, <laughs> you know, it gets, but, um, you know, I look at this person and, it, and it, you know, it was, it was always so authentic. It is so authentic. And, and that's the sort of, you know, sort of model I'd love. You know, it's my, it, it's what I hope my legacy is. It's what I hope, you know, my friends see in me is this person who is driven to create these opportunities for those around me who's authentic about wanting to, you know, to do those things. And I think, um, you know, what is a better life than that? What is a better life than having someone look at you and think, you know, this person would give me the shirt off their back, but also, you know, I trust and, and, you know, know that they'll do these things in return without question. You know, I think when I look at my life, it's how do I, how do I do these things in both my personal and professional life? Is it possible to do that? I think that's the sort of challenge I've put forth for myself in these past few years is it possible to live a life with those values um and so i'm, I'm gonna try <laughs> well, i don't i don't even hear you asking is it possible i hear you asking if it's possible how do i do it yeah Maybe. yeah which is different because a lot of people start asking themselves is it possible that I could live that type of life? And then they go, yes or no. Oh, maybe, probably not. I don't know. But you're not going, is it possible? I don't know. Maybe I just shouldn't even try. Uh, you're going, I'm going to assume it's possible. And then I'm going to take action to try and make it happen. Back to the growth yeah. mindset, right? Yeah. Um, all right, exactly. I think final, final stream or rabbit warren that we dive down is... Uh, well-being in the workplace—it's a topic that's becoming a lot more, a lot more prominent. Right? How do you care for your employees through the challenges they're facing in their personal lives, as well as the challenges that 
that they're facing while they're actually at work, like the stress and the anxiety and the frustration, mm -hmm. and then obviously developing them and the skills and the like to be able to help them cope with it all too. Like, how do you, is, is well-being something that you're responsible for in your role? Okay. Yes. <laughs> and how do you approach it with your team? Well, first I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad this has even become a topic of conversation. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, I, I, I can't help but like think a lot of my motivating factors are, you know, in large part due to the pandemic, you know, and, and one of the silver linings of this is that we realized that there is this huge mental toll of the work we do, how we do it, where we do it. It's this, you know, constant calculation of meeting all of the demands in our life. Like, you know, me as a parent, but, you know, others with, um, I don't know, taking care of their home or being, you know, a good a good son or daughter or, you know, being a good friend or a partner or any of these things. It is, you know, I, I often say my own life feels like a house of cards every day and it is such a delicate balance for it all to go well. Like you take any one of those cards out and it just crumbles. Um, and so, you know, I think about the pandemic and how it shined this light on, again, fragility and mortality and, you know, all these big things that didn't feel like they had any place, you know, at work for a very long time, at least not in my career. Um, and so when I think about that now, it's it's really um, ushered in this era of talking about, well, what is wellness? You know, when we think about this, like, is it just giving employees an outlet to call into an employee assistance line, you know, and, and, and find a therapist, like for three free sessions? And it's like, well, I mean, it's more comprehensive than that. There's There's more to it than that. So it's invited this discussion around, you know, as it relates to parents, like, you know, gosh, like there are parents who are struggling to conceive it all. Like when we think about wellness, could it include a definition where we're supporting people through their fertility or, or adoption journey? It's like, gosh, like these questions never came up when I first started my career. Um, in fact, like, you know, if we even talked about children, there was a concern whether you were more family minded or if you were if you were more focused on your career, like that's that's the transition we've made. And so when we think about this, like in terms of parents or mental health or all of these things, you know, there's been this gigantic seismic shift in how we approach this. And so, you know, I think part of it is understanding the people at our organization and the kinds of things they might be thinking about facing. You know, again, part of this is asking them, you know, it's this idea of we want feedback as part of this process. If we're, you know, if, if everything is a directive, um, you know, then, then we've really missed the mark on and being people leaders. And, um, unless you and get other... lucky and just happen to get it right yeah Whew. i mean then you're i mean <laughs> you're still doing it wrong but i guess yeah. i guess good there's some benefit here so it's understanding the the population of people you have today but also that you may have at some point in the future like mm -hmm. you know i think the other benefit to you know working in the last you know probably 10 years or so is there's been this shift of it being a more employee centric sort of scenario. So, you know, in, in effect, like companies are sort of competing for the business of the talent they, they hire. And so it's now thinking about like, you know, benefits offerings or work from home or we're remotely um, offerings. It is, you know, all of these things that again, we didn't think about, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, we were not competing for people to work at these organizations. So there has been this benefit here. So there's that part of it. There's just sort of the shift of the last, you know, few decades or few few years and and the pandemic to thank for this. But 
you know, I think the other part of this is it always comes back to intention. That is, what is the the value of a people function to an organization? What exactly are we trying to bring to the people of, of this company? Um, and um, and how can we, um, you know, how can we embrace, you know, that there are people here that may work here for 40, 50 hours a week, 30 hours a week, mm-hmm. but they've got an entire other half of their lives um, that we'd be remiss not to think about. And so, um, you know, I think it's just a realization that there there's a lot more at stake here than just the work being done. Um, and um, so it's really informed, you know, certainly the last few companies I've been at. Um, but it is it is thinking more broadly around what wellness is, what it means to the people of an organization um, and um, and and how to create this, you know, very holistic strategy there with that in mind. So what? What action do you take once you've identified it, right? You've identified the challenges that people are facing. You've you've identified this is a way that you're going to be able to attract talent and take care of people. And I guess you almost create a culture of the types of things that uh, your staff will need because people will be attracted to the, the talent will be attracted. The talent that needs help in those areas will probably be attracted towards it. Uh, right. And, you're almost, you're almost creating that that culture of hey wait we help our staff through this, um, right. but I'm curious. Like, well, you what... take action, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like there has to be something happening on the the back end of this. Like we conduct these surveys, and you know we ask people what what is meaningful for you, or what types of support would be helpful for you to feel supported and valued in the work that you do. Um, and I mean, there has to be some meaningful action taken from that, however small. Like it has to start somewhere. Like, um, for instance, you know, offering broad-based offerings for, you know, fertility and adoption support. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, like meditation-specific apps or physical fitness programs or, um, you know, support for parents who are in need of childcare, emergency childcare. If, you know, you've got a group of parents here, so it's identifying those needs and following through. Um, again, it doesn't need to be large change, but there needs to be this recognition validation that. Yes, there is some something we can be doing um, and taking action from there to actually put those things in place. Um, it seems really, I'm making it sound much simpler than it is, but yeah. um, but there has to be some step taken in that direction for it to be meaningful. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it it needs to be, I'm guessing the person who signs off on the budget is the ultimate decision maker, but the people who make who make the suggestions in the budget that get signed off are the ones who need to be really in tune with what the employees need and then find yeah, the solutions I, that will meet it. Right. And I think, you know, it's also, um, you know, it's, it's also reframing the discussion around why is this important? You know, it's thinking about things like it is not just about, um, you know, like, like standard business metrics of, you know, top line revenue and, you know, like, you know, the, the attrition metrics in my world or, or these standard metrics, it's understanding, you know, that there are a lot of other things going into these decisions rather than that. It's, um, you know, understanding, you know, um, there's just a lot more to it than, than those things. And so it's also thinking about these discussions and framing it in a way of, again, there's empathy, there's compassion. It's thinking about the impact to the people of this organization um, I don't know. It's, 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 it always comes back to compassion for me, but, um, yeah, it's thinking about things differently. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. 
Um, I'm curious off the off the back of everything which was spoken. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you in a moment uh, right after I wrap up. Um, what you what you wish you could have told your younger self and what you really want to make sure that you're teaching your daughters. Uh, but before we before we get there, I'm going to do a quick summary of what we've spoken about, like the high level, and then you can correct or add to or remove anything which I'm saying. Uh, we're talking about what what success is or how you define it. And the key part of that is driving. It used to be driving towards an outcome for yourself, monetary, like, you know, another, another status or recognition or being adored by other people. Basically, I think that was the word you used, adored. I actually used another term, rung in the ladder. Um, and now it's just noticing that those have diminishing returns. So you want to find something, a successful life for you now is that you can do what you want to do while also helping other people do what they want to do too. Uh, which is making them feel ultimately more fulfilled. You want to make sure that you have more reciprocity in your relationships. You want to make sure that you can be doing what you what you think or is your best guess of what you're happy to do for the next 45 years. And you've adopted a growth mindset to make that happen. Like you believe that there's always going to be a way to solve the problems in front of you. And, you, and the main problem which you see all the time is that people aren't feeling connected or appreciated or valued sufficiently. And then... When we're talking about some of the pivotal moments in your life, well, broadly speaking, you kind of like, like the, we got one example out of it and maybe another of having <laughs> kids. Uh, but there's like that startup town hall session where you stood up and you're like, I'm, I, it needs to be just and fair and I've got to back up everybody and I've got to make sure that I'm protecting everyone and I've got to be the one who's doing that and seem to be doing that as well. And you're like, oh, you look back on it now and it's almost cringeworthy, right? Like you'd hate for someone to make to put that into the movie of your life, unless it's very quickly uh, um, juxtaposed <laughs> with uh, with how you'd actually want your life, like with how well you're doing now, right? And then we, and you, you've learned that there are better ways to communicate. And part of that is what you've learned from parenting, right? Like your, the level of humility. And we were talking, you know, Disney princesses and only going to eat good food and I'm sure a million other things. And you found that you you don't know or it's not your job to know all of the answers. You just kind of got to figure it out. Like you got to help either figure out the answers for yourself or help your kids figure out for themselves. Don't over control all the time. Just try and be more empathetic and help them feel capable, worthy, good enough. At least that's your focus now. Um, making sure that you can recognize for yourself that as a parent, you're never arriving at success. I, yeah, I'm learning that too. I, yeah, it's it's something, it's a hard pill to swallow, right? Yeah. And, and then when we're talking about leadership lessons, it's pretty much the same thing. You're talking about agency to solve problems. You're, you're saying don't use such a siloed approach, like move away from bureaucracy wherever possible, unless you have a huge amount of resolve to make sure you're creating these changes or you're happy to just accept the way that it currently is. And then we were talking about the commonalities or the parallels between friendship uh, or the what makes a great friendship and what makes a great leader. And we were referring to trust, reciprocity, some value alignment, objective alignment. You can share your accomplishment with each other. And then when uh, what you then added when it came to mentors is that it's not just those things. It's also like a, a belief. It's a deeper connection. It's a deeper relationship than a friendship or a colleague. They believe in you. They can become great friends or peers who are a few steps ahead uh, and they have many of the attributes that you want to have for yourself. And it's reciprocal, right? You were giving the example <laughs> of you'd walk on hot coals for them. And <laughs> you do that because 
they'll do the same for you. Uh, or at least you have the belief that they'll do the same for you. And then when we're looking at well-being, which was the last part which we spoke about, it's really referring to uh, what we do, how we do it, where we do it, what are our competing priorities. Work's not just you clock in and you clock out and that's it. There's no such thing as work-life balance because they just merge, especially with the number of people working from home, but then also just technology, right? Like your, your, your spouse or a billion, eight billion other people can contact you at any moment just through your phone. Like you're never just at work unless you got your phone off and you're and you've managed to not think about the other things. As you said, as a leader, like there's no one solution for your organization. You got to understand what your team actually needs, ask for feedback, find out the challenges that they're feeling, and then most importantly, take action. And then when we did actually speak about one more thing, we spoke about uh, wanting to be more purposeful or how you can make more purposeful decisions, and you re-emphasize the point about the power and vulnerability. And you said, if you're just thinking about what you're going to do, just name what you're thinking with trusted people, people that you're close to. And it's not just like in terms of your thoughts, it's how you feel and what the possibilities are. Find mentors. Ultimately, you refer to them as networks, uh, people in our network, which we admire and connect with them and find out. And just remember that everything's an opportunity. So be patient and make sure that you're ready for the opportunities when they show up. Okay. Off the back of everything which I shared there, is there something that you'd want to correct or add to? Now I think, you know, I, the only thing I would sum up is success is better when it's shared. I think that's the, you know, the, the, the thing I, I would walk away with moving forward that I'd love to, you know, see my career defined as, um, it's my singular goal. Success is better shared. And what do you, what do you hope that you could teach your, either your younger self, like if you could go back to younger Abby, and we're not talking 15 years ago anymore, we're, we're talking a few <laughs> more, and you go back to much younger Abby, and you probably see your daughters, I'm guessing. Okay. What advice do you wish that you could give them that they would hear really clearly? Um, you're doing better than you think you are. Um, I, I, I think I would, I would say to myself, you know, it's, and I still would say this to myself, in fact, don't be so hard on yourself. Like it, it is, it is a long game. <laughs> it's a very long game. And um, what seems huge today will be, you know, a blip in the radar of your life. Um, so I would, that's what I would say to myself, a young Abby yeah, and a Abby. today Abby. <laughs> Yeah, uh, be, be a little bit less hard on yourself. Go easy on yourself because yeah. it's just, it's just one moment, right? Just one moment. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our guests. And Thanks. With our listeners. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And, um, I really appreciate this discussion. It was incredibly thought provoking and, um, I'm looking forward to listening to more of these episodes. I think, um, the lessons here are just profound and, um, important. They're really, really important. Thank you. So I hope you received a whole lot of value from engaging in that conversation. What were the key takeaways for you? What can you schedule in your life right now to make sure that the time you just invested into listening to this exceptional conversation with this amazing mentor and this amazing individual is time that wasn't misused, but was time that you've allocated properly to enhancing your life and improving it. Whatever it is, schedule it now, practice it now, be the successful person you're meant to be, live with purpose.